Happy Friday, everyone, and welcome to HR Work Break. I'm your host, Maddie Collins, editor of HR Daily Advisor. HR Work Break takes a quick but close look at everything human resources. For any HR professional, it's a must listen. I hope you learned something new, take some advice to heart, or simply stay abreast today's trending topics. Now, it's time for a work break. Happy Friday, everyone. Today, I'm joined by Neha Murchandani, Chief Marketing Officer and Head of People at BrightPlan. BrightPlan is a leader in total financial wellness, the company's comprehensive digital and human financial planner solution for all employees is real-time, personalized, and integrated with employer benefits. BrightPlan guides employees at every stage of life through financial education, goals-based planning, investing, and day-to-day money management tools and resources. BrightPlan believes financial wellness is a universal need, like quality healthcare and education, and is on a mission to democratize access for everyone. Neha, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me. The pleasure is all mine, Madeline. Yeah. So one of the first things I wanted to talk to you about is what employers can do to help their employees learn about financial wellness. Thanks for that question. It's right up our alley and something that we are extremely passionate about. So in short, there's a lot that employers can do to support their employees. Financial wellness is no longer a nice to have. It's a must have. And this is especially true in the current market environment where finances are incredibly top of mind. Think about the historic rise in inflation, the market volatility that we are faced with. And in fact, in our most recent 2022 Wellness Barometer Survey, it shows that 88% of employees are looking to their employers for support and guidance related to finances. And if you think about it, it makes complete sense because the majority of our financial life is tied to our place of work. So, you know, it seems like a complete no-brainer that they are looking to employers to support them. And this brings me to another topic that I'm extremely passionate about, which is financial literacy. And if you look at the data that came out of our survey, only 13% of employees have basic financial literacy in the U.S. today. That is dire states, and we are definitely in a state of crisis. This is not something that we should only be expecting the government to help drive with financial education in schools, for example, which they absolutely need to be doing more of. But employers, for the reasons that I cited earlier, have a critical role to play because they are truly trusted by employers. And then a final thought that I would share here is that education is important. It's critical. It's the foundation, but it is important to focus on the other aspects because once you've educated yourself, then you need to be able to move to action. And the way to move to action is to develop good financial habits, such as budgeting, saving, spending in the right way, spending within your means. And then you have to build a financial plan that sort of gives you a map on how you're gonna achieve your most important life goals. Now, those goals might be buying a house, it might be saving for retirement, it could be saving for your child's college education. You're not going to achieve your goals by just putting your money in the bank. So you have to really look at investing, but investing wisely to achieve those goals. And finally, I would say that financial wellness is not a one and done thing. It's a lifelong journey and it is core to our existence. Right. And so from your experience, what sort of changes and adaptations have you had to adjust and make to your own financial wellness? If that's not too personal of a question, like, do you have any advice for someone starting their journey? 
Oh, yes, I have lots of stories to share that are very personal. And, you know, I think there are many people that are in similar boats. But I came from a pretty traditional Asian Indian family. And both my parents were medical doctors. They both earned pretty much equal amounts of money. But my dad ran the finances in our household. And my mom was never really involved in, you know, what are we saving? What are our goals? How are we investing? And that sort of permeated into the way that I was raised to in a very traditional family, right? And so when I got married and got a job and I really started to learn how to do some of these things that I had never been taught. And in hindsight, I feel every family needs to be, you know, this is where the financial literacy aspect is so critical. We have to start teaching our kids at a young age, how to think about money, how to save money, how to plan, how to budget. Because I had a lot of catching up to do when I got into the workforce, so I wanted to make sure that with my kids, I didn't repeat the mistakes of the way that, you know, my personal experiences at a young age with finances. So I've been very thoughtful about making sure they have the right financial education and the right resources. And in fact, Bright Plan, for example, is not just available to an employee, but we're available to the entire family unit, be that the spouse, be that the partner, be that kids because we truly believe it is important to drive systemic change around financial literacy. If you know the importance of your finances and managing your finances, you are going to be more likely when you earn your first paycheck, think twice about how you spend it and then build your financial plan and invest your money to achieve your goals. That's really good advice. Thank you for that, Neha. And kind of building on the fact that finances are so integral in a lot of parts of our life, how do you think finances contribute towards employee well-being? Financial stress, I truly believe, impacts every aspect of our life, from mental and physical health to our work and our personal lives. Every year, we measure financial stress through the survey that I mentioned earlier. Last year, stress levels were at 65%. This year, 72% of employees are stressed about their finances. So this has gone up pretty substantially, right? Of those that say that they're stressed, 77% say that this stress is impacting their mental health, and over half of them say that it's impacting their physical health. There is a very tight correlation between financial stress, mental well-being, and physical health. And this is not just about the impact on the employee and their families, and frankly, on relationships, but it also has a direct impact on employers. In that same survey, Madeline, we asked for people that are stressed, how does it impact their engagement and their productivity at work? And on average, employees said that they lose over 11 hours in productivity every week. And if you correlate that to a loss in dollars for U.S. employers, it's over $4 billion in lost productivity weekly. Oh, wow. Yeah. So there is definitely a very, very sound reason for employers to set up and pay attention, not just because it's the right thing to do for their employees, but it is the right thing to do for the business. One final stat I want to share with you, Madeline, on this is that last year when we asked, what are your top benefits that you would love to have support on from your employer, financial wellness rated number three. This year, aligned with everything we just talked about, market conditions, volatility, inflation, et cetera, 
financial wellness is the number one most desired benefit. So clearly financial wellness is really top of mind for people today. Yeah, and especially with the past year statistics and the stress that everyone has undergone has been heavily influenced by COVID-19. So in that vein, how do you think COVID-19 has exacerbated people's mental health struggles, financial struggles, and needs from the workplace and even employee engagement? So I think COVID-19 was collectively a very challenging time, I think, for all of us. With that said, I'm always a glass half full kind of person. I think there are some trends that came out of COVID-19 that I think are positive. For example, remote and hybrid work. I don't know if you've always been remote, but I've worked at companies in the past where I needed to be in the office five days a week, right? And so people were always worried. People were worried, rightfully so, when this experiment started remote work with COVID-19. How is this going to work? Is productivity going to go down? How are people going to be engaged? On the productivity front, I think this has been a very positive lesson for us. Productivity has not gone down in most cases, and in many cases, it has gone up substantially. I can definitely say that for us at BrightPlan as a company, we're fully remote and we've seen some very positive outcomes come out of that. And our employees, for example, have been able to move out of California, which is where we were based previously, and move to other locations around the country as well. To your question around engagement, the pandemic has definitely turned engagement on its head. The reality is that the way we work has completely changed, right? There is no more nine to five. Everything is very blended. We have to be extremely thoughtful in terms of how we create a little bit of separation so that we can avoid some of the things that many of us are feeling like overwork, burnout, mental stress. And I think there's a big onus on employers and managers also to be very thoughtful about it. Like, unless there's something super urgent, don't ping your team on weekends, right? Don't ping somebody unless the house is burning down, you know, if they're on PTO, for example, because we need people to take a break. We need people to disconnect because it impacts their physical, mental, financial, social well-being. So culture, I think, is also something that is super, super important in this mix. And in terms of how do we engage, I think it has really shifted how we drive engagement just across the board in terms of no more water cooler conversations, no more ad hoc, you know, stop by somebody's desk to have a conversation. So you have to be very intentful and very purposeful and you also have to listen and watch for signals in terms of how are your employees truly doing? Are they struggling with something? And what can you do to really help and support them? So I think it's made us much more attuned, much more empathetic as leaders. You've brought up a really interesting point when you're talking about how managers and even fellow employees have to be intentional with how they reach out and know how their coworkers are doing. So what sort of things have y'all done at Bright Plan to intentionally help with belonging or inclusion and diversity while you are fully remote? I would say the topic of inclusion and belonging is one of the other things that goes very tightly with engagement that has had to shift and we've had to think about things in somewhat different ways because it is challenging already from a diversity, equity, and inclusion perspective 
to create an environment where everybody feels welcome and safe to share their ideas and feel like they can contribute to a uh, conversation. And so now when you think about that in a virtual world, we're engaging with people in Zoom or WebEx meetings, whatever that might be, where there are increased feelings of isolation more broadly. And so I think the first step, and this is something that we have tried to be as thoughtful as we can at BrightPlan, is having a heightened sense of awareness of how people are doing, feeling. I think it is important to start every meeting with, how are you, right? Because otherwise we have a tendency to jump right into it, jump right into the project or the topic of discussion in a meeting. So taking some time first to gauge the temperature, to see how people are feeling. And I think going back to something else I said earlier, which is intentional listening, intentful listening. And this is not just about the words being said, but it's about the body language. It's the signals and what can you pick up on? And then being thoughtful and purposeful in terms of enabling everybody to have a voice. Let's make sure somebody is not speaking up. Do you have something to share in a meeting? Not to put somebody on the spot, but if you can sense that someone has something to say, but might be feeling uncomfortable or not confident, how can you pull them out a little bit and give them a seat at the virtual table? So those are some of the strategies that have worked well for us. And then the final thing I'll say on this is sometimes diversity, equity, and inclusion, and those initiatives and efforts become kind of seen as more of a C-suite effort where it has to be top-down. Absolutely has to be top-down, don't get me wrong, but it also has to be bottoms up. And what I mean by that is we need to ensure that every employee treats every other employee with due respect because that is when you're truly building a culture of inclusion and belonging. And that's when everybody will feel like they belong, they can do their best work and can thrive. Exactly, that's really fantastic advice. That covers most of the questions I had for you today. And my favorite final question is to ask my guests what you are looking forward to this weekend. So I recently moved to the Massachusetts area. So I've spent most of my life in California. So my California gals, my friends tell me I'm a trader moving to the other end of the country, but I'm discovering a new side of our beautiful country here. And my boys are home from college for the summer. So we spent quite a bit of time checking out cool hiking spots and going for bike rides, et cetera. So we will be doing some of that once again this weekend. And I'm excited about that. That's so nice. Oh my gosh. Are you anywhere near the Cape? That's like one of the go-to destinations I hear about with Massachusetts. I am not. I'm actually in the Western part of Massachusetts. Have you heard of Amherst? Yeah, there's a university there, isn't there? Yeah, there are actually five. So yeah, lots of college kids, which takes some getting used to. There must always be something exciting going on every weekend with a, with a college town right near you. Oh, it's a lot of fun. And it's actually great to have all kinds of generations living in the same area and you get to have different activities that cater to different people. It's pretty cool. It's been great so far. That's awesome. I hope you have a really great weekend with your boys. Thank you. I hope you've had a great weekend as well. Thanks. Yeah, I think I'm just going to spend some time with my parents, but it'll be nice and quiet. <laughs> and Neha, I hope you really end up enjoying the East Coast. I know it's a very different vibe from the West Coast too. Yes, I think the biggest thing will be the weather, getting used to the weather. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we get a lot more rain than California ever does. Yep, and the snow. I hear the winters are brutal, so we'll see how that goes. Make sure you wear lots of good layers when uh, winter rolls around again. 
<laughs> I will definitely keep that advice in mind. Thank you, Madeline. Of course. And Neha, thank you so much for joining me for today's conversation. It was really lovely getting to speak with you. Likewise. Thanks for having me. Again, I'm Maddie Collins, and thank you for listening. Join us next Friday or whenever you need a work break.